Welcome to Prompt Help Podcast. Here at Prompt Help, we're touching on all of the trends and topics relevant today in health and wellness. Each and every week, we chat with health experts in medical, holistic, and allied health and wellness so they may share their wisdom with you. We believe everyone's journey in health and wellness should be personalized for them as one size does not fit all. Make sure you check out PromptHealth.ca to see how we personally are combating some of the inefficiencies within the healthcare system. Without further ado, I'm Heidi and this journey to the healthier you can begin right now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Prompt Health Podcast. We talk about healthy lifestyle and prevention in this podcast series and prevention starts with knowing your risk. Today we're going to talk about heart disease and that's because 9 in 10 Canadians have at least one risk factor for heart disease and stroke and almost 80% of premature heart disease and stroke can be prevented through healthy behaviors. That means that habits like eating healthy, being active, and living a smoke-free life have a big impact on our health. And while there are so many things we can change, such as our family history, sex, or age, there are plenty of things we can change that reduce our risk of heart disease. Today, we had the absolute pleasure to speak with Dr. Saul Israel about cardiology. Dr. Saul is a renowned cardiologist from Vancouver, BC, who is an expert in sport and preventative cardiology. Now, without further ado, let's get started with Dr. Israel here. I'm here with Dr. Saul Israel, a special guest. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's such an honor to have you. And I don't even know where to start with introducing you. You, you wear so many different hats. Um, so Dr. Israel is director of, uh, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but um, director of VGH Center for Cardiovascular Health, director of cardiology services at UBC Hospital, and medical director of sports cardiology, BC. And, um, you know, I had a personal pleasure of working with Dr. Israel in my previous job. Um, so uh, such an honor. And, and I know you specialize in sports cardiology and preventative cardiology. So um, I, I, I would, and you, you were also the cardiology lead for Vancouver Olympic Games in 2010. And we have so much to learn from you, so um, uh, I'm just going to turn it back to you to tell us a little bit about you know you and um, and then we'll we'll talk about cardiology. Pleasure, Heidi. My absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure to be here with you. I've uh, known you for so long, and to see you continue to progress in your uh, life and your career is just magnificent. The cream always rises. I'm delighted to see how well you've done. Um, Eddie, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I'm a general regular cardiologist who uh, I've been in practice since '97 and um, uh, seen most of cardiology. And over the last number of years, have uh, been able to fulfil my long-time interest in in sports and cardiology. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer in the World Health Organization's definition of health, which is that. Um, Health is not simply the absence of disease. It's also the presence of well-being. 
And it's one thing uh, to uh, to uh, ensure that a person doesn't ha person doesn't have any disease, uh, but what's as important is to make sure that they are actually healthy and they feel well. And uh, part of my uh, desire to get involved and to start the subspecialty of sports cardiology in BC here is to um, uh, is to marry that that world of the health world and the disease world. Um, that's one of the goals of it. Uh, a, a far bigger initial impetus for me was the fact that I became very aware that we're a really privileged society here in, in Canada and in BC in particular. If you think of, um, of where we are at the moment, we're one of the first generations to be able to be trying to exercise and do as much as we're doing at a later stage in life. You know, our parents' generation and grandparents' generation had depressions and wars and smoking was ubiquitous and if you got to 65 you were doing great now at 65 people are trying to ride the grand fonder and do the grass grind and swim the uh, you know the english channel in one day kind of thing and uh, and clearly we need to start addressing the safety and 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 appropriateness of of uh, of exercise at a later stage uh, in life and um that was one of my impetuses for starting the uh, sports cardiology program here. Amazing. And I know we talked, I was a few years ago um, with about the sports cardiology. Um, and, you know, when, when it comes to cardiology, and I'm so glad you mentioned that a lot of people think, you know, they have to have a heart disease to, to start <laughs> paying attention to their heart. And, you know, my, my background was in cardiac rehab, so I always dealt with that part management of uh, the disease, but let's talk about, and we want, we, that's why we want to have this conversation to talk about prevention. Um, so it would be great to hear from you. Um, what type of population do you see when, when we're talking about preventative cardiology and sports cardiology, age group, like what kind of background they come from and what are some of the common things you see? Sure, sure. So I think it's, we see the whole spectrum, Heidi, all the way from, uh, youngsters who are participating in school sports and university sports all the way through to uh, older individuals who are, as I say, trying to be very physically active in the later stage of life. You know, um, I have a slightly different view on, on prevention. I, um, it's quite interesting these days, especially with coronavirus, there's been a, a move from people believing they're healthy to people believing they're asymptomatic. And there's a big difference. Um, you know, asymptomatic means you've got some disease and yet you don't happen to, happen, happen to have symptoms at the time. Whereas healthy, you're actually just healthy. Forget about whether or not you've got underlying disease. And what worries me a little bit about the medicalization of, of prevention is that there's a perception that you need to diagnose an underlying disease in order to initiate preventative strategies. What I mean by that is that you don't have to necessarily be diagnosed with high cholesterol or hypertension or uh, underlying coronary artery disease from a CT scan to appreciate that you need to follow a healthy lifestyle in terms of diet and exercise uh, and social interaction uh, and those kind of things, which are profoundly important, whether or not you've got underlying high blood pressure or diabetes or not. So um, uh, my take on prevention is that we should all be living as if we've got disease 
without necessarily determining going through all the testing whether you've got disease. And, and, and that means that you should be exercising moderately, eating appropriately. As I say, you can't underemphasize the importance of social interaction and social connectivityness. Um, and that's whether or not you've been diagnosed with a heart attack or not, uh, whether you've been diagnosed with blood, high blood pressure, high cholesterol or not. Um, I think the other thing that I'd like to emphasize is that um, the, as important as exercise is, uh, what we've realized with the uh, cardiac rehab and sports cardiology is that it's not a, a total panacea and it doesn't, as good as it is, as psychologically beneficial as it is, as physically beneficial as it is, it doesn't mean because you can ride the Grand Fonda, because you can do the grass grind, you don't have to worry about whether your cholesterol is elevated or your blood pressure is elevated or your sugars are elevated. 100%. And, you know, this was a, this was a weird year. Like I know a lot of people around me, um, guys and uh, specifically in their mid to late forties, um, having out of the blue, like heart attack or like heart issues. Like I like there was number of cases around me that this happened. Um, I don't know if it had to do with like extra stress of pandemic or like what's going on that this is happening in younger, um, you know, age groups, like any insight on that? I think so. You know, Hedy, I think, um, uh, you know, you know, maybe uh, it's always happened in, in, in this age group, you know, I think that what happens with all of us is we're getting a little older and suddenly our friends are getting older with us and so we know more people. So I'm not sure that, that it's a new phenomenon. I think that uh, the one misconception is that a lot of the things that occur, the events that occur, that appear to be out of the blue may not be as out of the blue as people think they are. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that, you'll hear of make the male or female who has a sudden event with uh, people thinking they were the healthiest specimens in the world. If you really look back at it, they may well have had risk factors that weren't addressed. They may have had high cholesterol, which was genetic, mm. or uh, hypertension, which was genetic, despite them being so physically active. Or they may well have had symptoms that they misconstrued as being, I don't know, reflux from stomach acid or something like that, that may have been angina, or their physicians may, or nurse practitioners, whoever it is, may have misconstrued it. So, Things do occur out of the blue, no question, and that happens in life. But a lot of the time, these things could potentially have been picked up just with ordinary routine um, screening and investigations. Hundred percent. So when do we when do we do that? When do we like what's what's the guidelines? How often? Can you comment on on those? Yeah. So Hedy, have to be careful that. Um, we don't get into the, disease, the, the business of disease creation, all right? It's unbelievably important. The last thing I want to do is, is make people think that they're walking around, they were walking time bomb, you know? <laughs> the, reality is we are, the reality is we are, you know? They yeah. talk about life, life being a sort of a sexually transmitted disease with 100% mortality. It is true. Yeah. Having said that, we have to live life um, in, to a certain extent as if we're invincible, but appreciating perhaps that we're not. So um, the first question is, what is a family history of heart disease? And when we're talking about heart disease, Hedy, we are primarily talking about coronary artery disease, blockages in the arteries that supply the heart with blood. 
because there are other causes of heart disease, muscle disease, electrical things. Uh, but, but in general, people think of heart disease as heart attacks and blockages in the arteries. First thing is, what is a family history? And I think one of the misconceptions is that if a grandparent had a heart attack at 80, uh, then you are at increased risk of heart, of, of heart attack at a young age. The reality is you're probably not. That was more the norm and, and par for the course at that age. We generally say that if a male, so dad or a, a first degree male relative has had a heart attack under the age of 45, either heart attack or angina, that's a, that's a significant concern. And a female, a first degree female relative under the age of 55. And that's just because women do appear to be protected premenopausally to a certain extent from heart attacks. Although I hate to say that you, that women catch up and, and welcome to the club later on. It's the most common cause of death in women uh, over the age of 70. Um, so that's a family history is premature disease in their father or first degree male relatives under 45 or under 55 in, uh, in mom or first degree female relatives. Then um, that, that's the first thing that should heighten your concern, not your concern, your, 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 your uh, reason to get checked if there is a family history of heart disease. The next is that things like blood pressure, incredibly easy to measure. Uh, for women, um, one of the great predictors of whether or not they're going to develop hypertension or diabetes or heart disease later, truth be told, is a lot of the time how they do in pregnancy. If a woman develops high blood pressure in pregnancy, diabetes in pregnancy, we do know that they are at risk of developing those conditions later on when they're not pregnant. So that would be an indication for a, a woman or a, a, you know, a, a person who's going to get, if they've had issues in pregnancy, to, to look at that. Um, in men and in women, probably at some stage over the age of 40, they should have their cholesterol measured. Now, it doesn't mean they initially have to start on pharmacologic therapy if it's elevated. It doesn't mean uh, that suddenly if you measure it, you're going to absolutely land up on a drug, but it does mean that it does help your risk. And we can risk stratify individuals by knowing their cholesterol, their blood pressure, their age, and their genders in certain risk models and decide how intensively they need to be treated, whether lifestyle is enough or whether they, in addition to lifestyle, need pharmacologic intervention. So, and I'm so glad you mentioned all of that. Um, there, are, there are things that um, as practitioners, like it, it's automatic, but not, uh, you know, it's good to have a reminder so that the modifiable and non-modifiable <laughs> risk factors. So paying attention to what are the, what are the things that I can, you know, the, the lifestyle, yes, we all know we should have a good lifestyle, but there are things that if, you know, there are, there's family history there, like what are like age and some of the things we pay more attention to. And Dr. Israel, if there was um, a tip that you can leave us with, especially during uh, a time like this, that everyone's, you know, stress level is higher and, um, you know, people are struggling with isolation, um, what would that be? Yeah, good question. You know, um, Heidi, I wish there was a magic bullet that we could, you mm -hmm. know, avoid stress. I, I think you can't avoid stress. Mm -hmm. I hate to say that, whether at the moment it's the, the restrictions around the pandemic or later on it's family issues or, you know, personal health issues or work issues. I, I don't think we can avoid stress. I think all of us have to find our own healthy way to manage stress. 
you know, probably an unhealthy way is a bottle of scotch every night, you know, but <laughs> a, health, a healthy way may well be a, a walk, you know, and particularly maybe even a, if these days a socially distanced walk with a friend, um, something that, that you do that, that uh, takes your, your, put your mind on, uh, onto other things, not the current stressors that you have. So for that period of time, an hour or whatever it is, uh, your your concentration is aimed on that physical activity, uh, and it may be a physical activity like walking. It may be a relaxation technique that includes playing mahjong or whatever it is, uh, some way for you to escape the rigors of your daily life. Just to remind you that Hedy, you don't you know, exercise has been uh, and lots of positive things about it, but it's been commercialized. Exercise has been commercialized, you know, with spin classes and hit yeah. classes and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the first study that studies that ever showed that exercise was beneficial for an individual compared bus conductors to bus drivers with bus conductors having far less heart attacks than bus drivers and letter carriers compared to the people who sort the mail. In the UK, they call them the sorties, all right? And all you had to do was go deliver letters and you had less heart, more dog bites probably, but less heart attacks than the people who sorted the mail. So the reality is, although... You may feel that you have to go to a spin class, go to a, uh, uh, an organized activity and have to sweat and be finished at the end of it to get any benefit. No, they may, that may have social and psychological benefits, but get out and walk. And you get 90% of the benefit from a cardiovascular point of view from doing that um, as you do from, from going to that spin class. 100%. I think walking is so underestimated. Um, and I don't know if you, you know this, I, I did a um, research as part of my cardiac rehab masters, where we did uh, three months of interval training with uh, congestive heart failure patients. And at that time, this is, oh my God, this is going to um, make it, you know, clear how old I am. But <laughs> at that time, uh, interval training or exercise was banned for heart failure. This is like 15 years ago. And, and now, and then in 2016, we, we published it in Canadian Journal of Cardiology because, you know, they showed that movement. And it wasn't when we said interval training, it wasn't like go do sprinting. It was like walk, stop, walk, stop, just move. Exactly <laughs> and that, right, Teddy. Yeah, and that had significant effect. Yeah. No, no you, moved the, you, moved, you moved the field significantly further with that, Heidi. <laughs> Thank you. And is there any, anything else you want to leave us with? Any message uh, to people in general about, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the, um, the, the one message would be when it comes to treating things, uh, it's never a question about should you uh, lead an appropriately healthy life with diet and exercise and all these other things we're talking about, or should you go on drug therapy? It's never one versus the other. It's a question of, is your risk high enough to, in addition to your appropriate lifestyle choices, also consider pharmacological therapy or interventional things? So for instance, when we put a stent into somebody's coronary artery, we don't say, well, there's the stent, goodbye, go to McDonald's and sit on your backside, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's the combination of things. So I think people should be open-minded just as we are open-minded, we should be open-minded about all different things. I think people should be open-minded about that the, the approach to health and to medicine includes not only non-pharmacological things, but also on occasions in addition to the non-pharmacological things. 
pharmacologic therapy, interventional therapy. It's not one versus the other. It's not black versus white or medicines versus no medicines. It's, it's a combination of things. And I, I think people should be open to that approach. 100%. Yes. And thanks for, thanks for that tip. Well, you know, your time is so valuable. And I, I'm so happy that, you know, I could see your face again. It's been such a long time. Thanks for connecting with me. It was great to see you and learn from you as always. Um, and looking forward to hopefully more collaboration. Thank you so much for joining me today. My absolute pleasure, Heidi. I wish you all the very best with this. Thank you. Have a lovely Thanks. day. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Prompt Help Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, and check us out on our website, prompthelp.ca. Subscribe for free to keep listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen from. Ratings and reviews would mean the absolute world to us. And tell your friends, Prompt Help is the next big thing. Find similar episodes every Sunday. Until next time.